people talk about the trail like it's therapy and for me it legitimately was therapy like the person that went into it and the person that came out of it were two entirely different people and like even some of my closest friends to this day say that like they didn't recognize the person that came back hello everyone welcome back to the out and back podcast presented by gaia gps this is shanty And glad you're here for today's episode because we're going to be talking with one of my all-time favorite people in the outdoor community, Zach Davis, aka Badger. If you're interested in long-distance hiking or have ever done a thru-hike on one of America's national scenic trails, then you either know the name Zach Davis or you should know the name Zach Davis. A couple things about Zach. Zach is the host of the very popular podcast series Backpacker Radio and is also the creator, owner, and editor-in-chief of the very popular backpacking website, The Trek, which grew out of his original website, Appalachian Trials. On top of that, Zach is also the author of the book, Appalachian Trials, which was the basis for his website, and the co-author of the book, Pacific Crest Trials. These are both books that are psychological and emotional guides for being able to successfully through-hike the Appalachian Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail. Now, it's a little cool story on how we wound up getting Zach on the show. It actually goes back to just the second episode of the Out and Back podcast when we sat down with Thomas Gathman, a.k.a. Jabba, or The Real Hiking Viking. Viking and I stayed in touch after that episode, and a few weeks back, he and I got together, and we did an 80-mile section hike of the Uinta Highline Trail and a through-hike of the Stansbury Front Trail in Utah. Now, during all of that time we were hiking, we got to talking about Zach, since he and Viking are really good friends who've hiked thousands of miles together over the years. And ultimately, it resulted in us making an invite to Zach. And not only did Zach agree to come on the show, but we also got Viking to come join us again. He's going to be our co-host for today. Now, as for me personally, I've actually met Zach before too. He and I met back in 2015 when my wife Ashley, aka Katniss Neverclean, AT Nobo 2014, was working with Zach as a writer and contributor for Appalachian Trials. So I find it really cool that after five years, our paths have finally crossed again in a way that relates to the great outdoors and through hiking. So Viking and I are going to talk with Zach today about how he first got into hiking, his through hike of the Appalachian Trail, and how it was one of the most mentally difficult things he's ever done. That and the fact he got Zika while he was out there. His inspiration for writing the book Appalachian Trials and launching his website and describing how it ultimately grew into the Trek and Backpacker Radio. And then finally, Viking, Zach, and I are going to be spending some time swapping some trail stories. Some involve pizza, some involve snow, some involve bodily functions, but we hope that you find all of them to be informative, entertaining, and that you get a kick out of them. As a real quick warning before we start, when you put a few 30-some-year-old guys together with a similar sense of humor and a similar interest in long-distance backpacking, you're probably going to get some colorful language every now and then. So we have a few times in the episode where you'll hear some censored bleeping sounds. Hope that's okay with everybody. Last thing before Viking and I start chatting it up with Zach. If you're looking to do any hiking, whether it's a quick day hike in the woods or a full through hike of a national scenic trail, you're going to want to make sure you have a great tool for offline wilderness navigation, specifically a GPS app with solid maps. And that's exactly what Gaia GPS is. With a Gaia GPS Premium Membership, you have access to the best offline maps available for navigation in the great outdoors, including U.S. Forest Service maps, USGS, National Park Visitor maps, Nat Geo Trails Illustrated, and our newest layer, which sources satellite data from NASA to show where wildfires are currently burning worldwide. A very important and helpful safety tool. And right now, 
If you're a listener of the Out and Back podcast, you can get up to 50% off on a Gaia GPS membership by going to GaiaGPS.com slash podcast. That's G-A-I-A GPS.com slash podcast to get up to 50% off on a membership with Gaia GPS, the gold standard of offline navigation tools. All right, everyone, I think I've talked enough. Without further ado, let's get the show on the road. Zach Davis, joined by my co-host, Real Hiking Viking. Thanks for joining us on the show today, Badger. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. No problem. Glad you could be here. There's a a lot that me and Viking want to uh, interrogate slash chat with you about today. And uh, Uh I figure that digging into your background is probably a good way to start out. So if I understand, growing up for you was very similar to how I grew up, actually. Um, Really wasn't into the outdoors. Were you a fat kid also? I wasn't a fat kid. I was actually one of those like ectomorph people who's inherently uh, skinny. Like you could eat five pounds of McDonald's and lose weight in the process. Yeah, I did not have that problem. Uh, I had the, the weird condition where you eat nothing but sugary cereal a day, and then you get obese. I don't know how that worked out. It was probably I did that over COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Circling around to that though, um, I was not the fat kid. I was just the freakishly skinny kid, despite eating badly, and I spent. Uh, most of my time following professional sports rather than playing sports. Like, uh, except for me, it was the Philadelphia Eagles instead of the Chicago Bears, like it was for you. But uh, and also playing lots and lots of video games. Yep. All right. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of Venn diagram overlap in those two regards for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, big time sports fan. Michael Jordan was my hero. Probably still is. The Last Dance occupied a lot of my summer this year, but. Yeah, grew up loving ball sports, uh, outdoorsy type things, such as hiking, was definitely not on my radar. Didn't really enter into my radar until about 10 years ago, really. So, yeah. So, yeah, like uh, just after your college years. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I I got into running a little bit before that. I don't know if you can call that outdoorsy, mostly like running on bike paths. But um, I got into hiking. I moved to San Diego and got into hiking pretty much at about the same point that I decided I was going to be hiking the Appalachian Trail. Uh, As my brief training, I did, you know, a series of five mile hikes in the few months leading up to the AT. That was the my real introduction to the outdoors was like short day hikes. So yeah, no, but, like, uh, backpacking or anything? The AT was my first backpacking trip. I literally learned how to set up my tents, like, the night before I left in a friend's backyard on their patio. Um, yeah, I couldn't – I didn't learn how to use my jet boil until I was out on the trail, and I was doing it incorrectly. Uh, one of my hiking partners later made fun of me in front of a group of people. because <laughs> I, I poured all of the food into the jet boil with the water and cooked it that way instead of letting the water boil first and then adding the food. Uh, I did everything wrong. I tried to – we stayed at the cabins at Mountain Crossing, like whatever, on the fourth night, and uh, we just come out of a rainstorm, and my socks were still wet. So I didn't want to go back onto the trail with wet socks. So I set the stove to a very low temperature <laughs> and put my socks in there. And by the time I pulled them out, they were all on fire. <laughs> uh, yeah, I pretty much everything you could have done wrong, I did wrong. The one thing I did correctly was I got in touch with someone who had like, the AT previously. And like he basically served as my guru and therapist leading up to the hike so I could pick his brain. I was primarily concerned about 
my own psychology going into it. Like I knew, I, I knew nothing about the gear and he helped me a lot with that, but I knew that like, if I could get my mindset right for this thing, um, I was stubborn enough to be able to make it happen. So it was just, I, I, I got smart enough to get out there and then I kind of figured everything else out as I went. What was your uh, base weight when you started out? Do you remember that? Oh God. I don't know if I had to guess my base weight. It actually, it, it wasn't terrible because I had uh, shout out to Ian Mangiardi of the dusty camel. He, he was, he basically made all my gear decisions for me, keeping uh, my budget in mind. So I didn't have the lightest stuff. Also made the mistake of uh, getting free gear. And at the time I had, you know, no following, no influence. So uh, the, I won't, use the company's name not to throw them under the bus but they didn't have anything lightweight and i had their lightest products and it was still very heavy i want to say my one person tent was probably four and a half pounds i had a three plus pound synthetic sleeping bag so yeah my shit was very heavy i had a gregory z65 and that was packed to the brim like to the point where i was having to put my sleeping bag underneath the pack when i had a classic classic move in backpacking is having a sleeping bag on the outside especially the AC. Pack. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah and then perpetually soaked for the next five months yeah yeah I, you know what i don't think i've ever seen a a picture of you from the at with your backpack on your back i i i mean i think i'd love to see that i don't think i've ever like you've never posted it in recent memory at least i actually thought that i lost all my at photos luckily somehow they ended up on my mom's computer and i got them all back thanks mom yeah (laughs) Uh, but yeah this was before instagram was around but this was before it was popular so i wasn't like you know doing hashtag here's short shorts in my butt at an overlook uh i I mean i think i have like three photos from my at hike yeah i didn't even post my first at three hike was 2013 and like i knew instagram existed but i didn't post this i didn't have one i didn't have the account and i never posted a picture to anything other than my personal facebook and so that was like two years after you hiked yeah you were 13 13 yeah yeah None of us posted to Instagram for uh for all for different reasons. Or were the old people? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was to me. Yeah, it was just all about po- posting pictures and stuff. And I'm just like, I, I don't care if I'm sharing on social media how I'm doing. All I care about is just that I'm hiking this trail. You know. Sure, it certainly has changed the game a little bit. At least the way that people approach and think about the hike for some sometimes for the better. I think oftentimes for the worse. Yeah. In 2011, so it was 2011 you did your thru-hike, right? Mm, correct. Yeah, so like, and me doing my thru-hike last year, I'm just trying to think about like what some of the biggest differences were. Um, like how many, do you know how many people thru-hiked the trail that year? I don't know. Um, I'm betting it was like three to 4,000 started. Yeah, probably less than that. Um, because, you know, I hate to do the back in my day because I talked to people that hiked in like 2002, uh, like Pots Holiday, he, he did it shortly after a walk in the woods came out and then there was a surge after that. But like I've since paying attention to the AT through hiker bubble through then the Appalachian trials and now the Trek, um, like I've just seen, you can see the difference. You can see the photos at these early campsites. You talk to people and what their experiences are like. Um, it was still certainly busy. Like I remember going into Hiawassee, that was the first big rainstorm and, uh, I, I can't remember if there's maybe one or two hostels in town and a couple of hotels, but we got the last hotel room because they were all taken by other hikers. So like it, it, it certainly wasn't, you know, um, an unexplored trail in 2011, but right. I, it wasn't what it was today. I'd yeah. say probably the biggest difference 
I've, I've seen maybe not the biggest, but one of the biggest differences is the prominence of gut hook, uh, or Gaia for the, any, any GPS app, um, back in then I started off with what was the ATC's guidebook, the companion, the and, and AWOL. Yeah. And oh, so they I had AWOL back in 2011 too. They did. They did. And I didn't learn about that until I saw pretty much every hiker had when I was carrying that heavy companion book. And then I learned that that was not the, uh, soup du jour. <laughs> and what is the soup du jour? <laughs> it's the soup of the That's day. the guide of the trail. <laughs> yeah, soup of the day. That sounds good. I'll have <laughs> Yeah, right? Uh, I think that was the same way. I don't think I started with the AWOL's guidebook. I think I started with either – I think I had a companion in my backpack, but I think I was just doing what everybody else around me was yeah. doing. Like, hey, what, where's the water? How far? Like, what? what's the climb? You know, like – and then I think by the time I got to, like, North Carolina, I was like, I got to get me one of those AWOLs. Do you remember what resources you were using to prepare? Um, like, before you left for the trail. Oh, I was doing the same method – uh, then that I do now, which is nothing, which is nothing. <laughs> uh, keeping it pretty, pretty simple here. Yeah. yeah. I'm so, no, I, mean, uh, I, I read, I read, I walk in the woods. I, I like, I watched like some, like, you know, I don't even know, like something, some, there was like some Nat Geo. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that came out the year before I hiked in Germany, yeah. which apparently accounted for a huge influx in German hikers on the trail. Yeah, because there was that German was that a German couple, I think. I don't remember. There was at least there were Germans in it. Like mm. they were like, We're here from Germany and hiking the Appalachian Trail. And they followed various like three, four, or maybe five different groups of people or five different people um up the length of the trail and like they talked talked to them at various times and I'm pretty sure that um that there was a German couple in there. And maybe it was filmed by German people. I don't know. But it was definitely like a na- National Geographic yeah. like yeah. documentary about the AT. And I, and I watched it with my parents that winter leading into my March uh, departure. And it was like, those were the, those are the two things. Those are the two major things that got me like, like spun up on what to expect in the Appalachian Trail was that documentary and A Walk in the Woods, which mm-hmm. of course, you know, nowadays you have a endless supply of YouTube this and YouTube that about the Appalachian Trail that you can't, you can't like, like claim ignorance. Like, I don't know what to expect. Cause right. I, you know, you just have to have like kept your eyes and ears shut. Right. <laughs> yeah. I was like, uh, it was like preparing for uh, a huge military campaign when I went out there last year, because I'd had five years to prepare since my wife did her through hike. I mean, I literally had her gear list that she posted on her website, Tenside. Um, and I literally just drew from that to put together my uh, entire packing list. So I started off with a base weight of like 18 pounds. Yeah. So did you guys um, hike it together? No, no. Uh, okay. When she went northbound in 2014, I was in a really good spot with my career and just was like, I, I'm not in a good position in my life to go, but I'll support you. And then in 2019, the roles were reversed. She was uh-huh. in a great position at Gaia. Um, and I was in between jobs, uh, really kind of just needed to get away for five, six months. And, uh, mm-hmm. so I'm like, all right, I'm going to go do it. And this time I'm going to go do it southbound. Yeah. Well, shout out to Katniss. She was, uh, one of the OG, I, I can't even remember. She was on when it was Appalachian trials, like legit OG. Yeah. Before it switched, uh, when did it switch over to the trek from Appalachian trials? I want to say that was the end of 2015. Well, why don't you like get into that a little bit here if you're gonna bring it up? Well, I'm yeah, sure actually, not. I wanna, I actually wanna get into that in a little bit. Like, I figure first sure. thing we'll catch up on background, and then sure. uh, I want to start learning all about the trek ins and outs. Um, but yeah, I guess Zach, the other thing I wanted to know when you were doing your through hike of the AT and it was your first time backpacking and stuff, like, what was it that stuck out to you on backpacking? What was it that made you love it so much that it ultimately branched into everything else that followed? 
Um, I fell into backpacking backwards, honestly. Can I swear on the show? I just did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think I cursed as well. Um, honestly, we can add uh, bleeps and make it funnier. So Yeah. It, it, it wasn't necessarily some magical pull to the outdoors. Uh, I was in a bad state of my life the year prior to that. I was fresh out of school. I was a year and a half out of school. And like on paper, I had achieved everything that I wanted. And I was still miserable. I was working like 70 hours a week. Um, I was just spending way too much time on my computer and depressed because of it. Um, and one night out at the bar, my buddy was talking about this hike that he was doing from Georgia to Maine. I'd literally never heard the words Appalachian and trail put together prior to this conversation. And like, he caught me at probably the lowest low of my point out in San Diego. And like on the spot right there, I committed to joining him. I'm like, I'm coming with you. He didn't even ask me to come with, I said, I'm coming with you. Uh, and the plan was to do it on his 30th birthday, which would have been 2012 fast forward six weeks past that conversation. And he got laid off from his job. So everything just got expedited and made very real, very quickly. So, um, yeah, I, the AT happened just because I knew I needed a change of pace. I knew that if I just kept on my current course, that I was not going in a direction that was going to make me happy. And this just seemed so radical for me, something so far out of my comfort zone that it there was something inside of me that said that it, it was the right decision. Right on. And then even then burning your socks and <laughs> uh, being perpetually wet going north through Georgia and pretty much going all the way through that. Uh, he contracted there. Zika as well. Uh, West Nile virus. Sorry. You, I'm sorry. Yeah, the you, other... got, you got West Nile did you, and you got Noro, I would assume. All Nobos get did it. Did not right? get Noro, no. Um, actually, and to be honest with you, I didn't learn about Noro until – maybe a year or two after my hike. I mean, I'm not sure if I was ahead of the bubble or if I just got lucky that year or what happened, but Noro was not happening around me. But I got Noro. I got Noro. I probably did. I probably did pants for other reasons. But, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't, that was I can't, a reason 6 million why I went southbound because uh, I, I don't know anyone who was Sobo last year who, uh, who got Noro. There was a bad yeah. batch of it going through the Nobos in New Hampshire when the bubbles were intersecting, but I, I, I guess it's a prejudicial virus. It just goes after the nobos. So. <laughs> hates it makes us. sense. It hates us. Yeah. Or loves us. Loves us enough, you know? Yeah. What was? <laughs> what would you say your top moment was on that whole hike on the AT? Was there like one moment that was just like the defining moment of, holy crap, I love this. I want to make this, you know, a big part of my future. That's a really good question. Like standout highlights – Honestly, for me, this, it was a very introspective hike. So you talk to a lot of people about their AT hiking experiences and they go on and on and on about the community. And I did love the community. I still have some very good friends for my hike. I have a, a guy who was a trail angel during my hike was actually at my wedding. Like a, that, those bonds are uh, eternal. But for me, like I just had things in my head that I had to sort out. So I did what I could to actually not hike with people as often as possible. And I spent a lot of time meditating. That was a practice that I tried to hone prior to getting onto the trail. So I, once, you know, I was out there and I was meditating, I actually knew what I was doing. Um, and I just, I had this distinct memory somewhere in Maine. I can't remember the specific range, but like I, I had overcome, not overcome, but I knew that I was close to the finish and I had gone through terrible lows with West Nile virus and some other things happened. And like, I, I could sense that I was getting close to accomplishing something that felt borderline impossible for me. And it, it all kind of just sunk in for me for a lot of people that happens at Katahdin. But at that particular moment, 
the, the weight of what I was doing uh, kind of overcame me. And I just started bawling at the top of this mountain. And I had never had like an emotional moment spurred by nothing like that in my entire life. And I think that's a moment that will stick with me forever. Um, yeah, I, I would say. I can attest it. to those. Those, those happen. Like, especially once you, like it's a feeling of like uh, clarity slash like understanding slash just like letting out like all the, like pressures of like society. Like it's probably like a whole thing that's enveloped by, you know, a, a dozen things of, of, you know, individually specific factors. But, um, that's happened to me a few times too. It's like, uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. I, and it's sort of, you know, inexplicable. Like, like you said, like you don't even like, how, how do you talk about that and tell that to other people? Because it's a, like, it's a moment in time that, that, uh, it's just, you're, you have to be you and have to be there to, to like, feel and understand it it's crazy yeah. yeah people talk about the trail like it's therapy and for me it legitimately was therapy like the person that went into it and the person that came out of it were two entirely different people and like even some of my closest friends to this day say that like they didn't recognize the person that came back and i think i've kind of you know graduated a little bit more toward the mean since then like i was definitely very centered and i uh, laid back after a through hike. I think the more time I spend in front of my computer and just constantly under the influence of stimulus, uh, I, I kind of regress back to who I am naturally. But um, yeah, the trail was definitely a very impactful, pivotal moment in my life. It's a carbon copy. I mean, uh, when I went on the Appalachian Trail last year, I was same thing, very, very low point in my life. I was dealing a huge amount with depression. Uh, self-confidence issues, self-esteem. Uh, I was pretty much bawling the whole way through Maine. Hmm. Um, and I remember thinking to myself, like, if I can make it through Maine, if I can make it through the White Mountains, then that negative voice in my mind that's been beating me up for so long is finally going to be gone. And it was really once I got over Mount Washington, it's like 350 miles in if you're going southbound, that was the point where it was like, the voice that had been telling me for so long, I'm worthless. I'm never going to be able to do this. You know, you're a depressed, miserable person. It went away. after hmm. that. I mean, um, what better place though? You know, what better place to have those like realizations when like nothing is there to like keep you bottling your stuff up anymore. The society is just stripped away from you and you're like bare naked with yourself essentially out in the middle of, you know, the vast, amazing, beautiful nature. Like you get to be natural. Like that's natural. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. You know, it's the ultimate natural remedy. Um, and I'm it was, curious, exact- I'm curious, what do you attribute that to? If you could point to anything. <sighs> I think, well, well, I think it's part of it's just exercise provides clarity. Um, and there's no better exercise than walking for five months in the woods. Um, and I think it's just, we don't get out enough. Yeah, You know, like there was a, do you remember, uh, what was it called? Height of land or sight of land. It's a really good formation, like halfway through Maine where you come to this road crossing. Oh, know, height. Yeah. Hi- height of height, land. Height of, yeah. Is it height of land or height of Maine? Uh, height of land. Okay. But it's yeah. high for sure. Yeah. Height of land. But um, there was a big rock there with the AT logo on it. And I'm probably going to paraphrase the line here, uh, but it basically talks about like time after time, man must return to the woods, must go to places that are true wilderness. And by doing that, it provides better clarity for who we are. And that 
was what I, that's what I completely identified with. Like, I think being out in the woods, actually hiking in the wilderness, going through areas where you're not exposed to the constant stimulus, like you talked about of society, that's what builds you up. That's what gets you back to being in a more natural state. Um, yeah. And I think after having enough exposure through Maine and New Hampshire was what finally was able to help kind of clear all that horrible stuff that was going on in my head. Mm-hmm. So even though I had still like 1,700 miles to go on the AT, I knew at that point I was going to make it. Yeah, and sure. It, and yeah, it was a very emotionally touching moment. And then, and this is something now I want to get uh, to with you in a second, that one of the things that the AT changed about me was it gave me a better uh, sense of self-confidence that I can do whatever the hell I want. And one of the things I thought about was starting my own business. So right after I came back from the Appalachian Trail, I started my own voiceover business. And part of that, I was lucky enough to be. You do have a great radio voice. I got to compliment oh. you on that. I'm, as Thank someone you. that runs a podcast, I am exceptionally jealous. <laughs> Better dark watch cho- out. Dark chocolate loving. I should have been a uh, airplane pilot. <laughs> but, um, like a voice version of Face Off. <laughs> Wait, do what? A voice version of Face Off. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, when he was saying that, I was thinking to myself, like, what is it? Isn't that, is that in, like, The Little Mermaid where she's stealing voices, you know? Like, <laughs> which one of us is going to be the she-witch? <laughs> Ursula. You're, right. you're changing from Jabba to Ursula. I mean, I got tentacles here on my face, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, but, yeah, so with The Voice, I started my own business, and it was something I'd never thought about doing before. And then this is something I want to talk about with you, Zach. You had always been uh, trying to run your own business and being self-employed in the past, right? Yeah, I don't do well with having a boss just in general. Uh, I, I don't play well with others oftentimes just because I, I – I feel strongly about my ideas and he doesn't even play well with me. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's true. When we disagree on something, it becomes knockout drag out. That's just, I, I've kind of always been that way for better or for worse, probably for worse. Um, but yeah, I mean, my evolution into being an entrepreneur after the AT honestly happened by accident. Like everything that is happening today was never drawn up. This just happened organically. It was kind of a snowball effect. Um, it kind of start. I, I don't want to go into a monologue here, but it's, it's the question, like, how did I get to starting the business after well, the AT? Yeah, yeah. Like what was your, like when you got to the summit of Katahdin, did you have kind of that, Oh, what next moment? Or like, you I knew, knew that, you knew you were going to go towards a direction of like self-employment, starting your own operations. Yeah. So to bring it back to the meditation thing, I, I was doing a meditation I don't remember exactly where it was, but one of the mantras I kept repeating is, why are you here? And I, I kept running through scenarios in my head about different tasks, jobs, career paths, and like keeping repeating that question. And I remember coming across the thought of writing a book and I got goosebumps. Like it, it wasn't something that I had strongly considered any point prior to that hike, even though I was writing for my personal blog at that point. And it was kind of always an idea that I had in the back of my head before I left, but I didn't have, I didn't know what I wanted to write about. And I wasn't sure that that was something that I wanted to do when I set out. But when I went through that practice, I remember getting goosebumps and feeling like, okay, there's, there's something here, like either, either I'm meant to do this, or this is just going to be a project that would make me excited. Um, 
so that was the thing that occupied me after I finished my hike was I went to live with my parents. I was out of money at that point. Like a lot of through hikers are, um, I was not motivated to jump back into the nine to five world. So I was very happy to have a place to live for free and eat their groceries and all that. Um, and honestly, the, the prospect of writing a book was just, if I'm being totally honest, it was a distraction. It was, it was something to do to keep me busy that, so I didn't have to get a job. Um, I didn't off the, uh, post trail blues. Yeah. It, it honestly, it was a very purposeful project for me. It was something I felt strongly about. Um, as I was blogging during my through hike, I noticed that there was this thread that were a lot of people write about, you know, specific towns or peaks or like the geography or their, their other hikers. I, my, my theme, and I, I wasn't setting out to write about this, was kind of the psychological journey that not only I was going through, but I was noticing other hikers going through. Um, so, you know, when I sat down and I decided I wanted to write a book, I, I realized that I had already had the skeleton of what I wanted to write had already been written. So I just kind of adapted it from that. Cool. That must be interesting. What, what did it, what is it, what were you noticing? Like, well, like, in ter- I know you wrote the book, but like in those moments, like what was going through your head when you were noticing these people's, like their behaviors or like how they were changing? Like what wh- was there? A t- was there a moment where you like, Oh, like I'm noticing changes. So the one that jumped out to me was, uh, you know, at trail days, everyone does the, the hiker parade. Yeah. At that point, my mind was, I was like in such a peaceful place with being by myself that the idea of being in a busy parade gave me incredible anxiety. So I went to, I think it's like Mojo's cafe yeah. in town there. And I like, I, I sat down and I, I started writing at that point we were in Daleville. We hitched back to get to trail days. Um, but I, that week was kind of strange for me because a a few of the guys that we'd been hiking with for a long time had gotten off the trail and, you know, everyone was talking about Virginia blues, Virginia blues, Virginia blues. And this is something I had heard about before I got on the trail. And And to be clear, Damascus, Virginia is like the Southern border of Virginia along the Tennessee border there. Yeah. So you're about to start the Northbound Virginia. But I'd hitched back from Daleville. So I I was about two thirds of the way through this. Gotcha. Ish. Okay. Um, And the way that the Virginia blues had been explained to me was that, you know, Virginia is long. It's 500 miles. It's a quarter of the trail. It's repetitive. It's the green tunnel. It's not that exciting. This, that, and the other. Oh, but it's flat. It's totally flat. Yeah. Right. Flat too. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And my, I was actually kind of surprised with the state because I had low expectations going into it that I was, there were so many cool highlights in the state. Obviously like McAfee knob is the the most photographed spot. uh, Dragon's tooth. I mean, there's the, what is it, the, uh, is it James Peak or Three Peaks? Or? Yeah, the, they got the roller coaster, yeah, and they got the priest, like, there's, there's a lot of cool shit. Three Ridges is what you're thinking. Three, yeah. yeah, thank you. It's been it's yeah. been a few years since I've through hiked the AT. Yeah. My bad. So the explanation of Virginia being boring is the reason why people are getting off the trail just didn't make sense to me. So I had to try to piece together why people were dropping off. Cause I did notice that there were a significant percentage of hikers, at least around me that were dropping off. And it, it became clear to me that although I was still enjoying the experience at that point, I felt like I had also adapted to what I was doing. Like in the early days of the hike, even when things were terrible, like you're hiking through a 45 degree rainstorm, it's still very exciting. Like you get to town and you know, the, 
the type two fun that you had just escaped becomes you get to process that and you get to a pizza buffet and you get to reminisce on the, the hardship that you just went through. By the time that you've reached mile six, 700, like you've been out there for a month and a half, you're used to that adventure. So what I, what I hypothesized was that people were getting off the trail because it was no longer exciting. Like they had adapted to that lifestyle. And when you go through the hardships, you don't get the reward of, what you would have experienced early on in the trail. At that point, I realized that it would take something more for you to persevere where, you know, you, you endure one of these hardships and it becomes very easy when you ask yourself the question, why am I out here doing this? And you don't have a solid answer to that question to get off the trail. And I was seeing that happen all around me. Yeah. When the honeymoon is over, if you don't love what, what you're doing, like, when the honeymoon is over, what are you doing out there? Right. You know, if you, if, if the challenge is persevering through that, the, the end of the honeymoon phase, you know, then, you know, you'll find, you'll find your next motivation to continue on. But if it was all about the newness and the funness of, 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 uh, you know, an adventure like that. And once those, once the meat falls off that bone, you're left with just the bones and then you're done. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to be completely honest. I haven't read Appalachian Trials uh, through cover to cover. How dare um, you? Yeah. <laughs> this conversation is over. How absolutely <laughs> dare I. Um, so was this one of the key elements that you talked about in uh, Appalachian Trials? I do have a chapter dedicated to it and is literally just adapted as a blog post. Um, yeah, I, I wrote it at that coffee shop in Damascus uh, just because I, w- I was trying to make sense of what was happening around me. And basically that's what all of the blog was is just like, I wanted to capture this bizarre psychological experiment that I was putting myself into. And yeah, it ended up turning into a book. Now, can I get a little clarity here? Did you go into the AT with the idea that you were going to write a book or did that, did the inception of the book begin somewhere on the trail or after the trail? Since I was in college, I always had the idea that I wanted to write a book. Um, I didn't go on to the AT certain that I was going to write a book, but the, the seed was certainly there. Um, And honestly, it wasn't until I was getting emails from people that were following my website encouraging me to write a book. Like, I wanted to write a book, but having that encouragement from people that I had never met was honestly something that really made the seed into a young plant. So so you wrote a book. At, 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 you know, after allegedly. The tra- allegedly, you wrote a book allegedly. at the end of the trail, and <laughs> then you created a website to basically sell the book. Yeah, that was it. Um, and the website was the name of the of the book, of course. Yeah, AppalachianTrials.com. Uh, it just made like a simple sales landing page for it. Uh, and then I knew that the thing that I was doing prior to that was digital internet marketing. So, you know, I had my personal blog. I had a little bit of writing experience. So I figured if I wrote some blog posts on AT-related subjects, it might bring in a little bit more interest to the book. Um, and I forget what my first post was. I think I wrote something about like how to keep your iPhone charged on the AT or something like that. <laughs> Cause like I had been given simple hacks, like putting it in airplane mode. Cause I think at that time that actually wasn't a totally known thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I noticed that I was getting more interest to these AT specific blog posts than most of the things that I was writing on my personal website. So I kept at it. I wrote another one about, um, sending mail drops on the AT, why I thought, generally speaking, it was a bad idea. And I gave a few exceptions to that. That got a ton of interest. And then before I knew it, I had other people reaching out to me asking if they could contribute to the website. Um, 
And that's kind of when the snowball started to roll downhill is at the time, the other primary resource for AT hikers was white blaze. And I have nothing against white blaze. I have everything against forums. I think it's just a a terrible interface for the internet. Um, And I I thought if you could get something that had white blaze style content onto something that looked semi-decent, that there would be something to it. So like within what, two years, three years, you had or four years you had like over a hundred people writing for you. Uh, it wasn't quite that quick. Uh, we had a handful of writers, I want to say the first year. And then from that, we also, that's when we got the two different pillars of content. So writers were people who had hiked the AT previously that wanted to also write how to style articles. And then, um, that, I also started the Badger sponsorship where I wanted to pay forward basically the goodwill that was given to me before leaving for my through hike. So uh, I connected with a few brands. Uh, I forget the early ones were like Bedrock, Gossamer Gear. Um, I actually think Gaia was one of the first few years. Uh, but I wanted to pay forward the, the goodwill that I was given. So part of the uh, sponsorship was they would also be able to blog on the platform. So that's when we got our first handful of bloggers. And then from there, people wanted to blog outside of the realm of the sponsorship. And yeah, it snowballed from there. But if you want to go to where it is today, fast forward. One question I wanted to ask before that was how often did people think it was a typo Appalachian trials? (laughs) I'm not exaggerating. I got that email two days ago. Uh, (laughs) It it happens all the time because the company is still called Appalachian trials. I never refiled it. Um, And yeah, so like when you, if you buy something through the store, it says Appalachian trials, WooCommerce or something like that. And, (laughs) And then someone's always got something snarky. He's like, I thought you were hiking the Appalachian trails, not the Appalachian. So yeah, I get that all the time. <laughs> uh, I mean, when I first like was introduced, it was, I think it was after the AT some, sometime during 2014 on my CDT hike. And I started seeing these Appalachian trials po- blog posts coming up on my Facebook feed. I was like, um, who the <laughs> is, uh, and I, my initial instinct was like, this person spelled this wrong like an idiot. <laughs> Should we do the fun aside of how we met? Because <laughs> I mean, it's kind of, I want to get to, yeah. How you two have met. <laughs> it, it, this is very relevant to what he's saying. Cause I, I, at the time, obviously I was doing everything for the website aside from the articles where we had contributor help. Uh, but I was like running all of our social media. And I remember every time I'd post something to Facebook, I'd see this dome right here. Always was like the first comment. I, you always had something snarky. Oh yeah. Say. I was a, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Comments on his I remember website. always thinking that you were the biggest. <laughs> and then, but, but like, I, I I saw your face on every blog post, and then was it 2015? January 2015. 2015 outdoor retailer in Salt Lake City. Uh, of course, I see that face at outdoor <laughs> retailer, and I walk up to him like, "Are you the hiking Viking?" And yeah, at that moment, your face wasn't quite as synonymous with your brand at the time. No, so no, I had no. to wait for you to tell me. Still who you to were. this day, I, most people don't know what I look like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you the guy on the hiking Vikings Instagram? Yeah, exactly. I've got that a lot. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but because you were spamming the Appalachian Trials feed, I knew to like, like interrogate you. Yeah. You're, you're that guy. That was huh? funny. Oh, you're the. <laughs> yeah. Hey. <laughs> and like, not, I'm not exaggerating. We ended up having a few drinks that night. I think 
I, I went <laughs> I out. I got wasted. Yeah, I went out to like midnight to try to get some sleep to you know have my whereabouts for the next day. I, this guy was like drunk texting me at four a.m. being like, "Hey man, I think we should get an apartment together somewhere." <laughs> and like, and we were on snowshoe hiking in Colorado like two weeks later. Yeah, yeah together, yeah. just the two of us <laughs> holding hands. How long after that? Because you two did the PCT together then, right? 2017. So yeah, that uh, I guess there was a two year gap there, and then we well, had, we, we threw like no, well, we did we did about three 350 miles of the Colorado Trail later that fall after yep. I had to bail on the PCT because of fires. Right. Mm-hmm. So like we we started started hiking together, and it's got, it's like interesting because in 2015 I had just you know January 2015 I had just completed my second through hike, and it was the CDT. So I'd done the 18, the CDT at that point, and like so my brand so to speak my, my instagram was was very young still but so was like appalachian trials yes. was in the grand scheme of things right. and we kind of our friendship kind of like interlocked at a, at a time when we were both about to kind of like re- reach our next several pedestals from that point on yeah we, we had a lot to talk about in the hiking regard he's a much more accomplished hiker than i am but uh i I can hold my own a little bit. Oh yeah, he's good. But like from like a yeah business standpoint, we definitely had a lot to talk about because if we I think we went through a lot of the similar things and we could bounce ideas off of each other. Yeah, it was a good like you know your your company is you know media and like I'm just this crazy idiot <laughs> and like there was there was you know, we both bring our own yeah you know table. very similar things. <laughs> So then you know, when you were doing the PCT together and you're able to bounce these ideas off of each other, um, like how, how was the PCT like compared to the AT for you, Zach? Uh, so the AT is the most important half year of my life, largely because of how difficult it was for me. Uh, West Nile virus played a huge part in that. But mm. to compare it to the PCT, even though we did it very quickly and it was physically very strenuous, at least for me, uh, it was a dream hike. Literally, aside from some fires that happened on the trail, everything went right. I didn't get injured a single time. There wasn't something on my end that went wrong. I felt very good the entire time. I really enjoyed the trail. By and large, we had great weather. Like It was honestly, I, I've never had that long of a hike where everything just kind of clicked. And yeah, it, the AT was more important to me, but the PCT was far more enjoyable. Yeah. Did you find it like psychological? Like it sounds like for you personally, it wasn't psychologically or mentally as challenging. Um, Do you think as a whole for your average hiker, the PCT might be more difficult? Because this is something I'm curious to know, because I must I hope to one day do the Triple Crown. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm trying to debate between the PCT or the CDT for which one's going to be next. But I wonder if the PCT is so much more of a mental or psychological challenge compared to like the AT because you have so much more wilderness out there. It's a really interesting question. I'd be curious to get Tom's take on this too. Who? But, um, the heck is Tom? Yeah. yeah. I, I'd say that there's a lot of variance by year. So we did this 2017, the year of fire and ice and that year, because there was so much snow in the Sierra, a lot of northbound hikers had skipped the Sierra, but there was not a good place to skip ahead to because even Northern California and a lot of Oregon was still in snow. So people were skipping ahead to different sections, which really demolished the bubble. Like you didn't see people hiking in big groups like you would otherwise. Yeah, we never ran into a bubble. Yeah, right. And I just remember seeing other hikers and how kind of sorrowful they were because they had lost their groups. And, you know, I think part of your spirit's taken when that continuous hike is broken up. I just remember seeing and feeling 
their dark energy around them. And I, I felt bad for them. Um, I, I think that's obviously an atypical year with climate change. Who knows what it'll be like going forward. But like oh. the, the previous from 2012 to 2016, those were all drought years. So, you know, hiking through the Sierra was a breeze. There were other challenges, but it, it wasn't exploding the bubble. So at least from what I could gather through the website, it seemed like people were in much higher spirits, that there was much more of a community aspect to it. So I think that there's a lot of variance year by year. Um, like certainly I imagine that this year would have been very challenging for people considering I'm guessing 90 to 95% of people ended up getting off the trail. Um, but overall, I, I can't say that one is more psychologically challenging than the other. I guess it depends on your fitness level because doing starting in the desert, going northbound the traditional route, you're going to have to be able to do long water carries. You're going to go a little bit further between towns. So I, it does require you to have your gear a little bit more dialed in. You have to be in a little bit better shape. You don't have quite the safety net that you do on the AT where you can get off pretty much every five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but I... I think because the there are more landscape rewards, there's um, many more beautiful stretches of the trail in the PCT. That it's almost is, like an overdose. Yeah, it, it's an overdose. But I also think that is something that keeps you going forward. Sure. Like I yeah, think yeah, people, yeah. like Northbounders, struggle through Oregon because they've already experienced the Sierra and they're looking forward to Washington. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're kind of like in that in between state. Yeah, you know something like there's more good coming. Right. Like you know it is, but but it's it's interesting that like you almost just are, you're pulling thirties through that stuff, you know? Whereas like, if you had come up to any of these like different mountain ranges on the AT, you would like, I'm setting up shop here for like a full day. Yeah. You know, like, but that's the trail's different in that, that sense that, you know, you only have a certain time block to be able to knock out all these various zones before winter sets in. And, and like you said, we did it fast. Yeah. And you, by and large, you thought that the hike was fairly easy, but like we came up to some, some hurdles in the Sierra. You know? Oh, for sure. They got snowed on. That, yeah. yeah that, I mean, it, it wasn't like, anytime you're going to be in the yeah. back country for a hundred days, things are going to go wrong. Just relative to my AT experience, yeah. it was like a fairy tale. So then when you've done the PCT, uh, at this point had, had to switch from Appalachian trials to the Trek or like, was it something where it's like, okay, the PCT has been done now. So we need to branch into something more than Appalachian trials and start calling it something more encompassing. Yeah. Yeah. So that was exactly, it I actually wrote a long blog post about the reason that we were change, changing it. And I was anticipating a lot of hatred just because, you know, anytime that Facebook changes, like where the search bar is from the left to the right hand side, people go up in arms. Maybe that's a dated, uh, Maybe Instagram's a better example. Any change, anything that's, yeah, different from before. Yeah, I was just, so I was just watching a new Joe Rogan podcast and he had switched studios and like the first hundred comments are people complaining about what the studio looks like. Like people just are so resistant to change. So I was anticipating, you know, people to have a really bad time with changing trials of the Trek. Um, Multiple syllables to one syllable is yeah. not good enough for me. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely dare they. <laughs> yeah. Also, I didn't want to seem like we were selling out. Like Appalachian Trials is inherently a terrible name, which has like a charming quality to it. Uh, whereas like the Trek sounds like something that'd be owned by like a multi-billion-dollar corporation. Or something I have your like bicycles. It. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so I, I was worried about the perception with that. But uh, it was just so necessary. We had so much content that was non-AT related that people were not taking seriously just because of the name of the website. Um, as you mentioned, you know, the trials thing was confusing for a certain percentage of our reader base. And yeah, I just I just knew it was time that we take our metamorphosis. Um, so yeah, at that I think we made that change at the end of 2015. We hiked in 2017. So we had about 
a little over a year and a half of being the Trek at that point. Cool. So when you switched it over the Trek, like what is the ultimate like goal mission of the Trek? Is it more encompassing for just through hikers or is it like a more of the hiking community in general? So for the longest time, I wanted it to be focused to through hiking. Cause I, I think if you try to please everybody, you end up pleasing nobody. And like, that was the community that I felt very strongly about. Like I knew we could have reached more people had we made it section hikers. Cause for every through hiker, there's probably a hundred section hikers or maybe even more mm-hmm. than that. Um, but, I mean, you still do stuff about section hiking. Yeah, right? for sure. And we've, we've branched in a lot of different directions, but and by yeah. and large, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you look at uh, backpacker radio is the podcast that I co-host, like a, a lot of the content is through hiking Centric. And that's just because, you know, it's, it's the business that, that I run and I'm really into through hiking. It's, it's mostly a selfish thing. Like I want to do content that's interesting to me because I think that'll be contagious for the people that follow along. I also think that for every person that ends up through hiking, there's a thousand people that are either considering it or at very worst interested in it. So I, I think, you know, when people are looking for their day hiking or weekend warrior or section hiking recommendations. Like they turn to through hikers because they've done, they walk the walk, like they have a ton of experience. So just because we're writing about through hiking, I don't think that means that we're only appealing to through hikers. I think, you know, to, to get to where we are, obviously we have to reach a bigger audience than that because there's not that many through hikers. Yeah. And I agree. It's like so much with through hiking applies to just backpacking in general, like everything, like every backpacking trip that I've been on since my AT through hike, I've drawing directly from my experience as a through hiker and then, you know, being able to teach it to everybody else who I might be out there with. So. And the, I think the right way to approach it through hike is just to think of it as a bunch of little section hikes. Like Tom and I talked about yeah. this, but like the, the way you keep yourself sane is like, you're just thinking about the next town or like even the campsite for that night or where you want to get for lunch. Like you don't ever think about getting to, you know, uh, Mexico when you're still in Washington, that'll drive you insane. So it's, a challenge. it's like that, that whole idea of in five, trying to say, I'm going to start this five month journey right now. And if I fail, I'm a failure. Like that's just, that's going to set you up for, for failure. Like that's failure like that. So you you want to set yourself yourself up for success. You break it down into like attainable, reasonable, achievable daily, if not weekly goals, you know, and that makes it that much more digestible to your brain every day. That was the, uh, that was the best like last minute advice I got before I went off on my through hike. Like my wife said to me, you're just hiking to Monson. Then when I reached Monson, she said, now you're just going to hike to Caratunk and, and it was basically like that all the way. But by the time I reached Tennessee, I'm like, I'm freaking hiking to Springer. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you get stuck of this so snow. But, down. You're, it's yeah. all downhill at that point. When did you When did you finish your southbound hike? Out of curiosity, uh, December 5th of last year. So did you see a lot of snow. I did. Um, actually, Halloween was the first time we saw snow. I was at Woods Hole Hostel, uh, just outside of Parisburg. It was crazy. We uh, Basically, me, Oracle, and Earthshaker, uh, two of the three people in my trail family, we uh, basically ran that 10 miles from Parisburg to... Huh. Uh, to uh, Woods Hole. Woods Hole, yeah. Totally blanked out there. Because there were, tor- <laughs> because there were tornado warnings all day. Oh, shit. Yeah. Snow and tornadoes? Well, yeah. Like, it was a huge flump. Front was blowing through, so it was super hot the past few days. And then with the front blowing through, it's like, yeah, tornadoes, apocalypse, you know, dogs and monkeys flying everywhere. Yeah. Um, that's funny to say you ran that whole distance from your first through hike. You ran southbound from Parisburg to Woods Hole because 
during my first northbound, me and Miss Jean, who was a machine gunner in my um, Marine Corps uh, infantry squad, he and I ran from Woods Hole Hostel down to Parisburg because it was pouring rain and it was a muddy slop mess. And we ran the whole way down. <laughs> I guess so, that's the tradition then for that. Yeah, section. apparently. Did yeah. you did you have alarms going off in your head thinking that you were encountering snow and you were still so far from Springer? Like, did you have oh, a yeah. concern? Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Because yeah, after the front blew through, everything got super cold. We woke up the next morning and there was snow all over the ground. It had snowed like two inches overnight. And my first thought is, holy crap, it's November 1st. I've got at least a month to go still. Yeah. Like, wow. like do I really have to be outside in this for another freaking month? Did, and did you see snow a lot of the rest of the way or was that just kind of a fluke? Uh, no, we, uh, it wasn't consistent snow the rest of the way, but like we would get hit with storms from time to time, like, uh, Hampton, Tennessee, uh, where the boots off hostel is, uh, we did a slack pack for 24 miles in a snowstorm, uh, from like 24 miles back. And then I got, we got pummeled by a big storm when we were in the Smokies. We got like six inches of rain during the day. And then overnight we got like eight inches of snow. Oh, that's gross. Yeah. That's like to go from being soaking wet to being freezing cold and snow. Like that's, that's miserable. And it's funny that you should, you know, you mentioned you finished December 5th and we talked, you know, you and I hiked uh, a week ago on the, you went to Highline and the Stansbury front trail. And I mentioned to you, I was like, you finished December 5th. Now just imagine one day before that I was starting a southbound through hike on the AT in Maine. <laughs> yeah, Zach, we talked with the uh, Viking in an earlier episode about uh, uh, about his southbound winter hike. Yeah. And every time I was complaining about like, oh God, it was so cold, or oh, I had this snowstorm, the other voice in my head goes, "Shut up, Shanty." Like yeah. you did that in winter. Yeah. Well, Zach was there for the inception of that hike. In terms of, I remember this is a slightly uh, graphic, but not really. I was I sitting about to say. I was sitting on my parents. Sh- and uh, I was, it was like it was like a few days before Thanksgiving or something like that. And I was just like, I don't know what I'm going to do this year. It was right after we it was the year we met. Yeah, I think. And, and it was um, we had just come off the Colorado Trail. I had just recovered from like being sick as from Giardia, like coming off our Colorado Trail hike. And I like, you know, had been sitting around my parents house for a few weeks. And it was Thanksgiving. And I was just like, you know, I texted you, you know, trauma and pepper had had just done the PCT in winter, the winter before. And I was all like gung ho on like the idea of like being bad like that. And I just hiked like three, four or 5,000 miles that, that summer. It was something crazy. I don't even remember. Um, and, and I was like, well, you know, what if I threw like the, 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 you know, the AT in winter and you were like, you'd be a God among men. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm doing it. <laughs> it is amazing how little prep you did for that. <laughs> Because that you said that was Thanksgiving, and then you were out on December sixth. You said December fourth, fourth. That is ridiculous. But yeah, that was like you didn't tell me not to. By the way, no, I mean like <laughs> like like you'd listen to me anyways. I don't know. You maybe <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes <laughs> I'm curious to know this, Zach, um, because when I was hiking with Viking uh, in the Uintas last, like we were sw- we were swapping stories, and Viking, I, I said to Viking, I don't know how you're dead, how you're not dead. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's a good I, I don't, yeah. Like you were telling me about how you had to turn back on the long trail what was that last year yeah yeah because it was like 20 below um everything you were just in a really bad situation you had to turn around to get back to your buddy in time 
Zach, have you found yourself in situations like that before? I'm way more risk averse than Tom. I'm probably way more risk averse than just the average through hiker is. Uh, yeah, I definitely, especially now after the AT, I do a lot of research on the hikes that I'm getting myself into to avoid those situations. I'm married. I've got a kid on the way. Like I can't be doing these things with a higher probability of me not coming back. So um, it's also just kind of how I'm wired is I avoid those things. So no, I don't get into the situations that Tom does. However, like you know, sometimes that stuff happens, like the snowstorm that we hit in, uh, like over Pincho Pass, in the yeah. Sierra going through Kearsarge. In hindsight, it wasn't terrible, but um, uh, it was. I mean, it wasn't terrible because we had the ability, right? Do you know what I mean? But like, if we didn't have the ability to do what we were attempting to do, which was hike over thirty miles over three passes in the High Sierra to get to a place where we hoped we could hitch out, which we couldn't get a hitch, which we had to sleep in, you know, shitters, sleep in. Brick houses. It's, brick houses. It's funny the number of people that I've talked to that have slept in those outhouses. Yeah, also. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those things were the that saved our that saved my life that night. I, I had a broken tent. You yeah. know, like so you can be as risk averse as you want. And we were hiking our tails off to try and beat winter through the Sierra. Anyways, like that was the the mission that year was to hike the PCT in a hundred days, and we were on course for 100 days basically the whole way you know with some big mile days uh that we had to do specifically south of the sierra as well um but you know we did we did that and we still found ourselves in that those those circumstances you know even with all the the proper planning and the proper gear and the yeah the long wilderness stretches like that like there was a i think i remember looking at the forecast as we were driving up to kearsarge pass or no as we were where did we enter mammoth lakes where we entered the enter the high sierra like where oh yeah that was from that was from that specific yeah, yeah. it yeah. was windy up there yeah we'd gotten like when we what was this it was pincho pass was that our first pass we had to climb pincho we st- we slept between mather and pincho i think was it pincho glen kearsarge was correct that? yeah so we went over pincho glen and kearsarge from the very bottom of the climb up can pincho between mather and pincho i think it was like 31 or 32 miles honestly <clears throat> i do remember the point where uh I was starting to hike first and I just couldn't keep the trail. So I'm like, I don't know what to do right now. And then you got in front, your ability to keep the trail in a snowy condition was actually very impressive. Cause Uh, yeah, a lot of times I, when there was no indication of where the trail was going, it it certainly helped me that I had been on that, um, on that trail two times before. Like I just, I had been there two times before and attempted PCT through hikes, which honestly, like, you know, you, you, you mentioned, you know, me and the Vermont long trail. I started in the North of Vermont and like really deep, um, really deep snow. And that was part of the reason why I bailed was because I had no sense for where the trail was going. I'd never been in the Northern half of the long trail, but luck, you know, for the rest of the AT, when I did my winter through hike on the AT, like I had it like an innate sense for where the trail went. Cause I'd been there before. Yeah. So this was a, this was one of those circumstances that just like lent itself to like, yeah, I, didn't, I, don't, I remember specifically that day just feeling the trail. Just like, like, I don't think there was hardly like one or two times, maybe at most, where I was like, uh, where are we going here? And it was like near whiteout conditions going over the pass. And we were in our trail runners with no like waterproof gear, like from the waist down, basically yeah, wearing a trash bag skirt. I that was already falling apart. Yeah, my my rain jacket was pretty much useless, so yeah. I had a cheap poncho, which was also falling apart. Yeah, yeah, we were not properly equipped for and, what was happening. And on top of that, we may have saved another dude's life yeah. who was like completely un- underprepared for. We found ourselves camping next to him and woke up with our with our tents covered in snow that morning, inclu- including my tent being on my face. 
covered in snow that morning because my trekking pole was broken and that's what held my tent up. But this other kid that apparently was in the Air Force, mm-hmm. either in the academy or actually in the Air Force, um, but he was like young. He was like 20, 21 tops, I would say. But he was just out for like a leisurely weekend. Like he didn't know the, the snow was coming. And he, he asked if he could tag along with us right out of camp. And we we're like, absolutely, dude. And he, he, I mean, he was a trooper. He stuck with us, but he did. I don't think he would have been able to navigate the, I don't think he had like the proper tools to be able to navigate up there in, in a snowstorm. No, definitely not. And, and the we, fact that he was able to keep up with us physically was very impressive. Oh, and he was getting burned. Yeah. He, he was, was he was hurting. Like we were hiking our tails off. That was like our peak conditioning. Yeah. yeah to do 30 miles over three passes in that weather was probably he, our most challenging. He bailed on us at Ray Lakes. He was, he was going to camp there. He hiked down to the bottom between um, Glenn and uh, Pinchot where we got a little a little bout of sun, but then we like started hiking up to the Ray Lakes as we started our climb to Pin, or to Glen. And once we got to that ranger station, we were kind of really hoping there would be a ranger there, especially yeah. for him because he just he didn't he didn't have the right clothing to like manage the situation effectively without you know like once you stop moving, your core temperature will start dropping. Um, so the whole goal for us that day was hike just hike and keep keep warm. And uh, so he eventually peeled off because I think he tapped out physically. He was incapable. But he got to a place where, you know, he could re- set up his sopping wet frozen tent, I'm yeah. sure. And, and you could actually see the trail. And, yeah. And again, yeah. it was right by a ranger station. Yeah. That was an intense day. That yeah. was one of our probably more intense days other than the day we tried to pull like 50 so I could watch Penn State game. <laughs> I think we took two zeros after that. <laughs> oh, yeah. When we were in town? Yeah. Absolutely. We went to Independence and like, yeah, we stayed at the uh, the hostel there, right? the independence in or whatever that is no 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 not, no we weren't in independence i'm sorry we were in bishop we went to bishop we did and both we did oh both yeah we stayed at the um mount williamson base camp and hotel right that's what it was uh strider the former owner of that ho- hotel has been a friend of mine for years and she gave us a free room and then we went up we either hitched we hitched a ride in the back of an SUV. We were about to get back on trail and like we're both dragging our feet. And, oh, like yeah. we need a sign from the gods. And like we looked at the <laughs> forecast and it was going to be kind of cold. We're like, yeah, let's go to Bishop. Yeah. So we hitchhiked. Instead of going back to the trail, we hitchhiked north to Bishop and went and got a hostel. I, I think it was completely dependent on the fact that Penn State was playing that day. <laughs> I think I had no intention of being on the trail. Yeah. <laughs> I also had a little bit of PTSD after the previous scenario, and I think there was like a 10% chance of snow. I'm like, you know what? It was cold. It was going to be cold again. Yeah. And the next day after that, it was supposed to be like warm enough that we were like, you know, we could hike out that. We could b- basically hike from Kearsarge Pass up and over Forrester Pass, and then like Within a day and a half, we were going to be like hiking out of the High Sierra. Right. So we hiked our tails off to get out of the High Sierra, and then we were in the, you know, the desert, which was actually not too unreasonably hot. For yes, us. I've never regretted a zero, and certainly not in Bishop. Bishop that was a great time. Down. Penn State beat Iowa, Iowa in the last play of the game, and I was a happy boy. <laughs> oh, I remember that game. Yes. Oh yeah. Now I know the exact timing here. Yeah. yeah. He gets tangled up in the net and then he puts the finger to his lips yeah. to silence. Juwan Johnson, shout out. Juwan Johnson. Yep. Shout out to him. Shout out to Penn State. <laughs> this is a good thing. Yeah. Talking with a fellow Pennsylvanian out here. You know, All right. Let's get are. back to Zach here. I'm so sorry. Yeah. So sorry. sorry. No, Zach. I'm Badgers. <laughs> I'm Go Badgers. <laughs> but, so Zach, like is, 
I would assume that there's a report on this trip in uh, on uh, the trek, right? I think I wrote three blog posts my entire hike. I, I had every ambition to write we, regularly. Like we I had even see. bigger ambitions that year. Oh like yeah, we, you talked like, earlier. You mentioned how it was like a, a, a cakewalk compared to your AT. Yeah. But what you neglected to mention was what we tried to do to start our hike with, we could, which we did the whole time, sort of. We could do like a makeshift version of it, but go uh, for yeah, it. Yeah, we we t- we were going to do a documentary of the hike and like we both got legitimate camera gear i was carrying a sony a6000 camera i think i was carrying like five or six pounds worth of electronics uh you had the sony a what rx100 mark whatever something yeah and, and like a, a like a micro like a nice microphone built on top of you know and like plugged in on top of it all that stuff yeah and i spent a couple months before the trail like picking media savvy friends brains about how to do video work uh actually that's how i met juliana chauncey she showed me a little bit Uh, i've got a buddy out here that does uh video work for local companies so i I picked their brains i learned a little bit and like yeah we're doing like the landscape shots we're doing the captain's log at the end of the days um we're walking back to get in the shot like you know and then walking back across within you know the frame interviewing other hikers you know when I'm able to dig out the time and I don't know when it'll happen, I actually will. Cause I want to edit it myself. I want to be yeah. in control of what the story is. We had someone come on and do it and they like from a visual standpoint, it looked very good, but I just didn't feel like it was representative of the story. So I want to have a heavier hand in it. This goes back to me not being able to have a boss. Like I'm kind of a control freak when it comes to things, but well, the hike took precedence over, over like our body's willingness to do both. Like we, at a certain point, our minds chose one over the other in terms yeah. of what we devoted our energy to. For sure, for sure, it, it becomes very difficult to pull a thirty-plus mile day and do give due justice to what the project could have. It was been. ambitious, yeah. So you know, it, whatever ends up coming from that will definitely reveal how half it was. But um, <laughs> it, it was a fun idea. Yeah, I mean, we had fun trying. Yeah, for I mean, sure. if we had learned something from that and then continued on the path of like getting more into that, that would have been a good start. We probably have close to forty to fifty hours of footage from this. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. We were like mailing, like you know, cards home, and yeah, we had uh, Fitz's help from Fitz from duct tape and beer. Yeah, yeah, they were helping us. They were even considering helping us with like the final product if we had like if it had come to that. But again. It, up. it was. Up. <laughs> Sorry, I, to be established, I can swear. I keep swearing. No, I yeah, can. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I might I put swear. in a couple bleeps every now and then. Okay, but that's, it's fine. I apologize. But don't so, yeah, bleep it's... out the actual cursing. Just put them in there somewhere. <laughs> bleep out <laughs> random words, but not the curse words. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's all the rage fun. these days. So yeah, it seems like over time, yeah, it's just more and more just material more and more new elements are being added to the track we have the articles you have the podcasts you're adding the videos what i want to know is also like what do you see coming up down the line in the future for the track like how do you see the track in uh, a couple years good question um i see people's attention span for reading becoming less and less and less so i i, I think that there will be less of an investment into the website aspect i, I do think in terms of you know, gear research and stuff like that. A lot of people turn to Google, which is obviously you're going to be reading things. Um, but I see more and more, like you see how popular Dixie is, right? Dixie's probably right. the most popular backpacker on the planet. Um, it was just goes to show the, it, it, 
you know, kudos to her. She does a great job with the videos, but it just goes to show the, the, the power of the YouTube platform. So that's certainly something that we need to be doing a better job with. I also, I'm a voracious podcast consumer, which was kind of the light bulb for the track to get more involved in the podcasting space is just like, it was something that I had been thinking about for a long time. And after seeing how much content I podcast content I had consumed during our PCT hike, it's just like, this is such a no brainer that we have to do this. And it was just a couple months later that uh, I'd started a podcast. Um, so yeah, I think the new media landscape between video, audio, and you know, taking advantage of all the social platforms, this is where people spend the majority of their time. So you just have to go to where the people are. And guys doing a great job with this. And kudos to you guys for doing a podcast as well. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, it was actually one of those things that came along too, like towards the end of my through hike. Uh, it was like, you know, Gaia should be doing a podcast. Gaia mm-hmm. should do that. And so it naturally kind of came along. We went to the CEO and out and back was born shortly after that Heck yeah. it took us forever to come up with the name but you know that's the uh, hardest part out and, back is good, and i really like your uh, cover art as well oh thank you appreciate that <laughs> oh yeah i was gonna say didn't you guys just roll out something you guys roll out just something new uh what is it called Hikerlink? Hikerlink, yes i must i must forget about this because of how uh hilariously bad the timing was but yeah in I forget February of this year, like right before the earth imploded on itself. Uh, we, you know, so the origin for this came from the standpoint that so many people in our community hate Facebook, either they have it and spend no time on it, or they just are not on it altogether. And although I think pretty much everyone's on Instagram, Instagram is good at a lot of things, connecting you with other hikers, especially people that you've met on the trail that's not its strong suit. Like people typically keep their real names on Instagram. And then, you know, people on trail is like fart monger or whatever it might be. You only know people by their trail (laughs) names. So I wanted to create the Facebook for long distance backpackers, the through hiking community or section hikers. It doesn't have to be, this is one of those things where it doesn't have to be just section hikers, but Mm-hmm. really a place where you can connect with other people that are hiking your trail your year or connect with people who have hiked the trail that you want to hike in previous years. So you can reach out to them and pick their brains, basically just a place for you to connect with other long distance backpackers. And I didn't feel like any of the platforms that were available currently did a good job with that. And I agree. I saw it uh, last week when I was just scrolling through my Instagram, saw the post for it. I'm like, all right, well, I'm signing up for this. Oh, thank um, you. Do you see yourself expanding beyond it all? Because I think there's four on there right now, AT, PCT, CDT, and the Colorado Trail. Uh, Do you see yourselves going beyond that? Definitely. Yeah, we'll be adding the JMT. Probably by the time you hear this, I don't know what your production cycle is, but by the time you hear this, I'm guessing we'll have both the JMT and the Long Trail. Arizona Trail shouldn't be too far behind. It won't be long before we've got, you know, you name it on there, especially domestically, and then we'll focus more internationally as well. But um, yeah, it's just a matter. I don't want to expand too far too fast. I want to, you know, keep it to our core people and then make sure that we have the bandwidth to roll it out properly. But yeah, we'll definitely be adding the more popular long trails in the United States. Here. Speaking of bandwidth and you say we, how many people are you employing over at the track? <laughs> uh, there's one other full-time employee. Shout, yep. out, shout out to Kelly Floro, our new editor and lead writer. Uh, but yeah, otherwise it's a lot of contributors. We have a part-time developer. We've got part-time designers, but uh, full-time it's just me and Kelly. That's uh, quite the workload for a, uh, a married man, soon to be father. Yeah, <laughs> it's like incredible to me because of how comprehensive the trek is. 
Yeah, exactly. It's, it's terrible. I, it's such a mistake. Don't I, like. I'm not telling people to not do this to not create competition for myself. I'm doing it for their own sanity. Is like I just keep trying to solve problems without having the resources to do it properly. Um, yeah, that's a thing that we struggle with because I think we have a perception that we are a much bigger company than we are. Like unanimously people assume that we have this huge budget i think it's understated how much zach actually has to do in order to keep the you know the trek the backpack excuse me backpacker radio and his new project hikerlink afloat while thinking about hey i need to get into video here someday soon real hard and yeah. it's like uh <laughs> I, yeah i'm i'm very good at i think like product type stuff marketing and i'm terrible at the business side of it like i we should have a lot more money to take on the things that we're trying to take on. And I just, I put too much on my own shoulders. And I, I think that's the, the whole idea is for you, you, you liked, I mean, that there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with it to an extent. And I'm very similar in that way. Like I sure the real hiking Viking could be light years beyond where it is now, but I like being in control of things. For sure. For sure. And you like being in control of what co what, what's going on with your, your baby. Yeah. So, you know? I mean, th- I, this honestly is a resource issue because as long as I'm the person that's able to make the decisions, I don't have to be doing the, the day-to-day work. Like I actually like the managing side of it and collaborating with people. I just don't like someone else having the final say on how something exactly. works. So that's where I struggle. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Give it up. Give it to God, dude. Yeah. 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 But I, I'm for, fortunate that there are a lot of people in the through hiking community a lot of our contributors write for free um certainly you know we're not able to compensate the same way that like rei or uh, outside magazine does um we've got interns that are donating their time for free so i'm very fortunate that people are connected with the brand and are helping out from that standpoint but yeah i definitely bite off more than i can chew at all times i would venture to say that the content that the trek puts out there is more relevant and more um like relatable for the people for your audience than what outside magazine or rei does though so it's like can we take a snippet of that and just make that the lead of the show sure absolutely <laughs> please how no. many lawsuits can we get on us so uh, yeah. quickly? hey listen that's just my personal opinion <laughs> no i appreciate that that's take it to the bank and yeah, smoke it that's that's very nice of you no i mean I'm honestly constantly blown away by the amount of people that are willing to contribute to the website and are excited to be a part of the brand. And like, honestly, we would be nothing without the innumerable people that are helping out from that standpoint. Yeah. Well, including my wife, like in back in, uh, exactly. With, uh, yeah. Application trials. So. Yeah. Shout out to Ashley. She, she, like I said, she's one of the OGs, uh, it, uh the people that were our early writers are I'm so grateful for. And like, honestly, that was a fun time because I got to have a little bit more interaction with the writers because I wasn't doing as much. There were fewer people to interact with. And it actually, you know, I'm nostalgic for those days because it, it felt more manageable and more fun and in some ways more exciting. Yeah. So you got so much good stuff with the track um, and you got a lot of stuff you're going to keep developing in the future for the track. I want to know uh, before we start to wrap this up, what's the future for Zach Davis? What's the future hold for you? My first question is you've done the P the AT and the PCT. When are you going for the CDT and that triple crown? These through hiking the CDT does not speak to me right now. I, if anything, I would pick it off in sections. Uh, the idea of being stuck in Colorado during monsoon season or having to race to glacier to beat snowstorms or to be in New Mexico during peak heat. Like none of that speaks to me as a, uh, soon to be 35 year old guy with a kid on the way and who has uh, very fair skin and orange hair. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> I, picture <laughs> sideshow Bob. <laughs> 
Uh, you've been saying that for five years, so that, that's the same tune he's been yeah. preaching for five years. I, and I like I it's not not a knock on the CDT. I would love to do it in sections. Like I'm actually I'm I'm very excited to get up, especially in the Montana section of the trail. But um, yeah, I don't I don't have that insatiable thirst to be a triple crowner. Um, I think my future is to just knock out more shorter trails. Like I did the long trail last year and I had a blast with that. Uh, it, it sounds like Tom and I are game planning to go do a hundred miles of something here in the next week or so. Like those are the things that I think are uh, more <laughs> Java Viking. <laughs> Jeez, man. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think that is my future. That's kind of been my evolution of late, but I mean, who knows, you know, maybe one day when I retire, and uh, I've got a kid that's in college, and I've spent the last 30 years or 20 years not doing anything exciting. I'll have a very different tune, but for right now, it's kind of where I am. You're going to strap that kid on your back and take him hiking, every, him or her hiking everywhere, right? Oh, definitely. It's a boy, right? Yeah, my son's going to grow up much more outdoorsy than I am. I'm going to force that down his throat, whether he likes it or not. <laughs> when he's 18, he can decide if he still likes hiking, but uh, I'm at least going to give him a fair shot to be a capable outdoors person. While you're living under this roof, you will hike. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Good luck. I'm going to be uh, following that, see how he does. All right. I want to wrap up with uh, three quick closing questions. Um, we did this for you, Viking, so I want to make sure we do this for you, Zach. First of all, Zach, what is your favorite trail to hike that you'd consider off the beaten path, like not a national scenic trail or a very commonly used one? Hmm. You just posed this question on Instagram. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't, and I hadn't even thought of it myself. Um, <laughs> you son of a gun! Yeah, I really, I don't, I don't think the Wonderland Trail is considered a national scenic trail, right? No, it's not. No, it's no, definitely not one that people like go to. Like, I mean, people hike it every year, but it, like, people aren't like, yeah, yeah. Like, I really enjoyed that, and like, yeah. I did that with a couple of really good friends. So obviously, that adds to the experience. But so, where's the Wonderland Trail again? Just for Wonderland. Yeah, sorry, Wonderland Trail circumnavigates Mount Rainier. Um, it's about 100 miles, and it's you know it's very easy to send caches to the ranger stations there, so you don't have to carry the full allotment of food. You're you know that entire wilderness area, or I guess national park area, is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, it's stunning. Yeah, you've got a good opportunity to see black bears through there. Um, You're gonna work for it though. It's it's a lot of up and down. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's that. It definitely kicked all of our butts. We were not in good shape when we took it on, but that is that is a really enjoyable trail. Nice. I can attest to that for sure. Do you know what the elevation gain is for that hundred miles? I think it's like like tw- it's like twenty five to thirty thousand. Yeah, yeah, May- no. yeah. I think it is. I really do. That nice. I don't know. Yeah, I can look it up while you're asking the next question. Cool. So, second question: biggest meal that you've ever packed out? Um, there's too many to recount. Let's see. So we got off at one of the resorts in Oregon. Uh, this was a place that was very difficult to get a hitch and only Tom was able to get a hitch. He was like a mile ahead of me and he packed out a pizza for both of us, which we both ate that night. Um, yeah, man. I, I don't even, that can't even be in the top five. But no, but it was special. <laughs> yeah. If we're going to talk about big meals, I'm going to deflect to, uh, my, my hiking buddy here because <laughs> He's not what he used to be, but like when we were hiking the Colorado Trail together after he'd gotten off the PCT, I think he I think he ordered 
this was in Lake City, and it's a small resort town, and everything was closing out. It was like the last week that they were in operation. So <laughs> this, this little diner, they were trying to get rid of all of their food, so everything was half off. And I'm not exaggerating. He ordered five breakfast entrees and ate everything minus like half of the waffle. Like, it, it, like there were people in the restaurant like clapping for him. Considering... Considering after doing 100 miles or 80 miles, really, in the Uintas with Viking and considering how much he ate on that trip, I totally believe this. <laughs> yeah, I had my hiker hunger like like that first like second, first or second day, and it was just like weird. I just had a full breakfast, and like 20 minutes later, I was starving. It was so weird. It was yeah. so weird. I also had violent diarrhea while I was out there. So that <laughs> did. It was bad. Thank God you brought the Emodium out there. On yeah. The oh, my God. I went through a whole pack of Emodium. Um, so, so, so Zach's right. Like that, I'm, I'm definitely not what I used to be no. in the ter- when it comes to like overeating, but I, I was a champion for oh, sure. In your prime, there, I've never seen anything like it. It was, it was incredible. I loved it. It was like Michael Phelps level. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll get oh. back to that. I, you know, I haven't really – I'll get back. Well, I, something to strive for. Think about it. Like back back then, I was like, I was through hiking thousands of miles every year. I haven't done thousands of miles a year in like three years. Yeah, you know, it's called getting old. I'm and falling off hard. Like, I have I have peaked. I have bum ass. Yeah. I have <laughs> definitely peaked. <laughs> I'm talking oh, about the yeah. food. <laughs> and so right, yeah, so. actually, I've looked up that answer to that first one. It's, it's twenty two thousand. Twenty two thousand. I'm seeing on Google. So I see. Tw- well, Google's lying. Uh, according to uh, something I'm looking at here, it says twenty five thousand three hundred forty one feet. I'm so. going to take that one over twenty two thousand. I think Google's <laughs> fake newsing us here. Yeah, they are. They're taking <laughs> yeah. Wikipedia. Wikipedia lies. There you go. Third one. Third and final one, Zach. What's your best hitchhiking story? I already know it. Um, we had a lot of good. Oh my god. <laughs> I, I'm actually going to, I'm going to let Tom. Tell no, the story. no, you got to tell. You right, gotta we'll, tell. we'll both tell the story. <laughs> so we're at Stevens point. Uh, pass. we pass rather, sorry, Stevens point. Stevens point. Yeah. Old town. Yeah, yeah, we're Stevens point. We had to go to town for the <laughs> excellent beer there. Stevens pass on the PCT. Uh, we had just come through Glacier peak wilderness. My shoes were falling apart. So my feet felt like, <laughs> but even worse was my Neolite X air X light, new air X light had developed a leak. So I wasn't sleeping at all through that entire stretch. And like, that was still pretty stressful. That was the one area where we were still seeing snow fairly consistently on the ground, not falling on us. Yeah. Uh, and that's it, pretty difficult hiking. I'd say that's one of the most difficult stretches. Oh yeah. The Our feet trip. got beat up. Yeah. So, sure. so like that's an area and it's still very fresh in the hike. That's an area where you badly need the rest. And I just wasn't getting it. So, you know, on top of being worn down, I was in a terrible mood. We get to Stevens pass and, uh, I have to get to the post office. What's the, is it the Dinsmore's that are? Yeah, but the, I don't remember the name of that it's to, it's to the West. And I don't remember the name of yeah, that, uh, whatever that town is. Uh, we have an hour and a half until that post office closes. So we're like, fine, plenty of time to get down there. We're sitting out there for an hour and a half. Literally no one picks us up so at that point. Are you, no, it was, it was longer than that. I think it was like, we were there well, for like hours. Well, so that, that's when the post office. Closes. Oh, right. right and then right, we're right. like, all right. So there's a gear shop. It was Sky Comish post office. Sky Comish. Yeah. And then we're like, all right, there's a gear shop in Levensworth, which is an hour in the opposite direction. Yeah. So we're going to try to get out there. Stand out there for another two hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were yeah. there for like three or four hours. And legitimately, like people are like honking at us, waving at us, but no one's stopping to we, pick exactly. us up. Exactly. Let me tell you, we're on opposite sides of the road for the first couple hours because I was like trying to get a ride going one way, and he was trying to get a ride going the other way. Just sort of like trying to like divide and conquer, basically. Yeah. And um, the whole time, just seeing him on the other side of the road, I'm just like, he is a pit more. P- 
than I've like ever seen. When I don't, he when, is. When I don't sleep well, I'm like a moody bear. I'm a, I'm not someone you want to be around. I don't want to be around him. That's why I went to the other side of the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, eventually, we we both decide that we're going to go west to Leavenworth. Um, there was nothing for us in Sky Company. Yeah, Vikings doing the thing where he's rolling up his already five inch inseam shorts like up to basically his crotch, thong status. Yeah, and like sticking his leg out and like, dancing away. Yeah, people are hawking, but still driving. I'm also by. trying to like cheer him up too, and it wasn't really. <laughs> No, yeah, your your thigh was not going to do it no. for me. That's uh, why I kept going higher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then and then out of nowhere, a short bus pulls into the parking lot that we were standing in to go use the bathroom. I'll just take it from here. And so, first of all, they pull in, and we're like, "Oh man, how cool would it be if we were like?" And it was clear that it was a bus full of women. Like it was like a bus full of women. <laughs> and you know we're like and, and like you know you're just sitting there like i wonder what would it be like if we were on that bus because you're sitting there just standing on pavement exhausted hungry stinky needing the things you need not able to get to the place you want to go so when you see something that looks like a dreamland drive by you're like I, I you start like fantasizing about getting on anything that drives past you like i wish i was in that car which was that car. so this bus drive pulls in and it was clear that they were just like driving past because there was a bathroom there and they were just making a, a pit stop. They were hooting and hollering at they me. They were hooting and hollering at me because they had my thighs out. <laughs> and um, so they they pull back up to the the entrance to the um, to the parking area to turn back onto the highway and stop like within 30 feet of me. And they come to a complete stop. And the short bus door opens wide <laughs> and some girl pops out and they're like, get on in. And I'm like, where are you going? They're like, wherever you're going or something like that. And I was like, Zach, I look back at him and he's just like standing up immediately. And we're like, yeah. So we get onto this bus and it's a bachelorette party. Literally uh, probably 14 women. Yeah. Like the bottles of tequila. We, beers they, circulated. we hadn't even sat down or taken our packs off yet. We're standing up on the bus and we get handed a giant McDonald's cup full of tequila, you know, like, the party has begun. They were all really nice. Like it, it, we were just laughing the entire time. Yeah, like, totally. it was so surreal. Like we went from the lowest low to like that is the best possible yeah, situation. It was awesome. The trail yep. provides exactly. Sure did. And the I moral think I, of the story is you got to roll the uh, you got to roll the inseam shorts all the way up. <laughs> exactly. And that's how you get the traffic coming. And, and roll them all. You mean roll them all the way down and then roll them, whip them around your head on the bachelorette party bus. That's. I mean, you know, in, in an alternate that. universe, maybe, you know. Yeah. <laughs> These are three good winners. So We can cool. probably provide the picture for we that, tra- too. We change our trail names to Chippendale. <laughs> <laughs> He's a maniac, maniac. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, I'm going to start calling you Chip and Dale from now on. Right. Which one's what? Together, so. Who's who? Uh, I'll let you okay. work on that one. I've always considered myself a Dale. Yeah, I'll be Chip. Chip and Dale. Cool. All right. <laughs> Chip Dale, or sorry, Viking Badger, we uh, really appreciate you being here on the show today. And uh, man, best of luck with the Trek and Backpacker Radio and everything else you got going on. We really appreciate it. Appreciate that. Thank you. And likewise, the guy, I love your guys' app. Uh, used it religiously on our last uh, four-pass loop. We're going to use it probably coming up here on our whatever we do in the um, Collegiate Peaks. Mm-hmm. And I'll probably use it again. Actually, let me give one guy a story, a plug for you guys. Uh, oh, so- okay, fourth bonus story right here. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is our second to last night, and oh, we're, we're doing yeah. this hike with a bunch of people, a 
a lot of them, this was their first backpacking trip ever, and they were already tired, worn down. So, like, I wanted to lift their spirits about how long it would take to actually get back to the car the next day. So I used the Gaia, like, track your route feature to give them the exact mileage and, like, how long I projected it would take for us to get back to the car. And, uh, that definitely lifted the spirits. Otherwise, there was a giant question mark circulating whether, like, we'd have to spend another night in the backcountry or if it was feasible <laughs> to get back to the car. <laughs> cool. So shout out to Gaia. Thank you, Gaia. Cool. Awesome. Thanks for doing that. So cool. All right. Zach, Viking, you guys take care. We'll uh we'll catch up again soon. Yeah, man. Sounds good. Thank you. Have you. a good day. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Zach Davis, everyone great guy who has provided so many great resources over the years for the backpacking community. Zach, if you're listening, we wish you all the best, especially with your kid on the way. And thanks for taking some time to talk with us. And Viking, thank you so much for being a great co-host. You're a good friend and hope to catch up again soon. If you're interested in following Zach and The Trek, and I highly recommend you follow them, you can do so by going to thetrek.co. That's all one word, thetrek.co. The Trek also has its own social media pages, including Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. All of them are at thetrek.co. On The Trek, you can find links to Zach's books, a great shop, and about every resource you can imagine for backpacking. To find Backpacker Radio, simply look it up on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and everywhere else you would look to find this podcast. For Zach himself, you can find him on Instagram at zrdavis. And finally, if you want to sign up for Hikerlink, simply go to hikerlink.co. Again, all one word, hikerlink.co. And one other shout out for Real Hiking Viking. He was on episode two of the Out and Back podcast. Make sure you give that episode a listen since we talked with him in a lot more detail about his own adventures and how he got himself into the world of backpacking. He is the definition of an interesting dude. So again, if you haven't checked his episode out, make sure to do so. And as always, We'll leave links for all these places in our show notes, which you can find by going to the Gaia GPS blog. Now, I have some absolutely terrible news to share with you all. The Out and Back podcast is moving back to every other week with new episodes. I know, I know, I feel the same way, but we will get through this, I promise you all. All right. With that out of the way, I want to let you know what our next episode is going to be about in two weeks. I gotta tell you, we've been working on it for a while, and it's going to be something really special. We're going to be doing a documentary-style episode where we specifically talk about the most famous grizzly bear on the planet, Grizzly 399, a mother grizzly who lives around the Tetons of Wyoming and over the years has successfully reared over 16 cubs and grand cubs. She's been followed by over 40 wildlife photographers and millions of tourists, and in our episode that we're doing about her, we're going to be talking with two of these photographers, Maureen Matson and Tom Mangelson. We're also going to be talking with author and journalist Todd Wilkinson, who worked with Tom Mangelson to produce the absolutely groundbreaking work, Grizzlies of Pilgrim Creek. And finally, we're going to be talking with Dennis Vandenboss, a man who had a very close encounter with Grizz 399 and her cubs and lived to tell about it. Make sure to tune in in two weeks for this one, and please tell your friends about it, too. It's going to be something really special. In the meantime, if you liked today's episode, please make sure to go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. It helps the show get noticed, and it always gives us a little extra perk to our day. 
And finally, make sure to stop by GaiaGPS.com slash podcast and pick up that killer 50% discount on a Gaia GPS membership. If you're heading into the backcountry, you're going to want the gold standard of offline navigation, and Gaia GPS is exactly that. Again, GaiaGPS.com slash podcast for your 50% discount. This is Shani, and we'll see you in two weeks on the Out and Back podcast. Take care, everyone.